Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Colossians 1.15 presents an interesting test case to examine translation bias. Well-meaning Bible students have taken this text in at least three different ways. However, some translators, likely motivated by a fear that readers might see Christ as a member of creation, have increasingly pushed for translating this text so that it says Christ is superior to all creation and thus on the creator side of the creator-creature divide. In what follows, I examine several popular translations and discuss the two main issues in this verse. Here now is episode 350, part 21 of our Bible class, Firstborn of or firstborn over, translating Colossians 1.15. My goal here is not to explain how I understand this text in detail. My focus in this episode, as with previous episodes, is really on how this verse should be translated. So we're going to see some translations that remove the ability to see various viable interpretations from the reader, and then we're going to see other ones that leave it open and preserve the ambiguity. And that's really one of the main points I've been making throughout this last part of this class is that really interpretation belongs to the reader, not to the translator. Let's take a look at Colossians 1.15 in a number of different translations. All right, first up, I have my own literal translation, which I'll read to you. It, it reads, Who is image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation? Then we see the NASB, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then we have the CSB, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The New Living Translation Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And then last of all, the Good News translation, Christ is the visible likeness of the invisible God. He is the firstborn Son, superior to all created things. Now the phrase we're looking at here is where it says firstborn of all creation. And I'll just highlight that in these various versions so you can see it. So the literal is just straight up firstborn of all creation, which is what the NASB gives us. The Christian Standard Bible gives us over all creation. And then the, uh, the NLT and the GNT both go for this idea of supremacy. In other words, also over. Whereas the, the NLT also adds in he existed before. So the, the NLT actually double translates the Greek here. It can mean either before or superior. And they're like, well, let's just put both in. And so that's what the NLT decided to do. Now, there are two main options here, as I mentioned, and I put some other versions in here for you to see. The first one is firstborn of all creation, and the second one is firstborn over all creation. Now, under firstborn of, you can see the ESV, the NAB, the NASB, the NJB, the NRSV, and the WEB. That's a lot of mainstream, very well-respected translations there. And most of your older English translations are going to do it like this as well, although they use the term creature instead of creation. Uh, That's probably more of a function of just the way English has changed over time, more than a difference in interpretation. Then for firstborn overall creation, we have the Christian Standard Bible, the NET, the NKJV, the NIV, the NLT, and the RPT. The RPT is the Revised Patriarchal Greek 
Orthodox New Testament, all going for over here. Ironically, the translations that most egregiously succumb to the temptation to tweak, add, or rewrite scripture are also those with the most stringent faith commitment to the inspiration of scripture, which doesn't really make sense. I mean, if you really believe, think about this, if you really believe that God inspired scripture, that the, the creator of the heavens, the most powerful, unlimited being, inspired scripture, would you mess with it? <laughs> would you tweak it? Would you nudge it in a certain direction to conform to your doctrine? No, you, you would respect it for what it is and say, okay, this is, what, this is what it says. This is what he wrote. I'm going to make it into the language of the people so that they can read what he wrote. Uh, but in fact, those who strongly believe in inspiration a lot of times can't resist the temptation to also adjust it in slight different ways. Yet such tampering betrays actually a low confidence in Scripture. If you have high confidence in Scripture, you don't believe you have to defend it uh, or protect it or adjust it. If you have high confidence in Scripture, then you just put it out there for what it is. Uh, and, I, and that's what I believe translators need to be doing. They should be conveying the text of Scripture without adjusting it. Instead, they should empower readers to figure out what it means. I'm all for putting the power with the reader, the interpreter, the commentator, the preacher, the Bible student to figure things out. So uh, we do also have a couple of outliers on Colossians 1.15 I wanted to just mention here. Uh, one is the Bible in basic English, which reads, Who is the image of the unseen God coming into existence before all living things? So instead of saying firstborn of, they translate it coming into existence before. Um, and I thought that was kind of an interesting although a pretty radical translation, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, then the idiomatic translation of the New Testament by MacDonald, often called the MIT, not for the college, but because MacDonald's idiomatic translation, uh, which renders it, he is the image of the invisible God, he is the prototype of all creation, which is a totally different nuance, uh, but, it, but it is a possibility here. So let's look at a couple of issues on this verse. There are really two main issues to deal with. The first is this word prototokos, which is translated firstborn. And the second is the grammar of the words of all creation, pasis katiseos. And we can, we can see from the standard Greek lexicon, the Bauer, Danker, Art, Gingrich, BDAG, or BDAG as I like to call it, lexicon of the New Testament, on this word prototokos, that it says, quote, literally pertaining to birth order, firstborn. The special status enjoyed by a firstborn son as heir apparent in Israel is an implicit component of prototokos in reference to such a son and plays a dominant role. Two, pertaining to having special status associated with a firstborn. A, of Christ as the firstborn of a new humanity which is to be glorified as its exalted Lord is glorified. Prototokos in polis adelphis, which is uh, Romans 8.29, the firstborn among many brothers, or brothers and sisters. This expression, which is admirably suited, Bedag continues, to describe Jesus as the one coming forth from God to found the new community of believers, is also used in some instances where the force of the element tokos, or born, appears at first glance to be uncertain. And then B, of ordinary humans, whether of God's people or of a notorious dissident. 
So let me just summarize what we just read there for you. We have really two possibilities for the word prototokos. It can either mean first son to be born, so that's the idea of in time, right? I have an older brother, his name is David. My older brother is the firstborn son to my parents. There's no way in the world that I can be older. The firstborn son in any family is always going to be the oldest son in that family, just like a firstborn daughter would be the oldest daughter in that family. So that's the first possible meaning here that Colossians 1.15 is saying that Jesus is literally firstborn in time. And then the other possibility is that he is the son who inherits the firstborn benefit. All right, so this is the idea of um, the blessing or the inheritance. The technical term for it, for it is primogeniture. And it's something that is totally assumed in the Bible because that's just the way society functioned in the old days. Actually, in medieval times as well, primogeniture was major in Europe. Uh, but anyhow, this is kind of like a different idea. It's not necessarily, I mean, usually it would be the first physical son, but sometimes the firstborn blessing or inheritance would actually go to a different son than the firstborn son. So think, for example, of Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn son. Did he get the inheritance? No. It passed to Isaac, who was actually his second son. I mean, the first son of Sarah, but the second son of Abraham. What about with Jacob and Esau, right? I mean, technically, I mean, they're twins, but technically Jacob um, gets the firstborn blessing, but Esau came out first. Or there, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, when Jacob went to bless the sons of Joseph, he crossed his hands and Joseph said, well, what are you doing? You know, I guess he was getting old and he, was, he was, couldn't see that well. And he, 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 Joseph tried to correct him. You've got the wrong hand on the wrong son. You're supposed to be this way. And, and Jacob said, no, I know what I'm doing. This is the blessing. And he gave the firstborn blessing or the bigger blessing to the secondborn son. So this, we see this happen in scripture. It doesn't have to be firstborn in time. It just has to be the one who is given that role, that status or inheritance as the firstborn. So let's look at the second issue. So we have two possibilities for the first issue. Second issue is all about grammar. So this is genitive possibilities. You have either a partitive genitive or a genitive of subordination. So partitive genitive is where a portion or part of the whole is in mind. So X is a part of Y. Translation would be Christ is a firstborn creature of all creation. So in other words, Christ himself is a member of creation. He's the firstborn member of creation, just like my brother Dave is the firstborn in the Finnegan family. And he is also himself a member of the Finnegan family. Uh, so he's a part, it's a partitive genitive. Then the second idea here is the genitive of subordination, which is really totally different if you think about it. And that expresses dominion or priority. And that is that X is over Y. So translation would be Christ is a firstborn superior to all creation. So in that sense, Christ is, may be part of creation or may not be part of creation. He may be distinct from creation and superior to creation itself. And that is the interpretation that many of our evangelical translations are assuming when they come into the text this second idea here. So let's look at three overall interpretations that Christians 
have for Colossians 1.15. The first interpretation is that Jesus is the firstborn over Genesis creation. He has preeminence. He's the firstborn as the highest conferred status or inheritance, not literally the firstborn in time. The second possibility is that Christ is the firstborn of the Genesis creation. When I say the Genesis creation, I mean the creation described in the book of Genesis. God begot Jesus first and then through him created everything else. So in option number one here, Jesus is not part of creation. In option number two here, Jesus is the first object of creation. And then option number three here is that Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. As the first one resurrected, Jesus is literally the firstborn of the age to come or firstborn of the dead. And that's a, a quote from Colossians 1.18 and Revelation 1.5, that term, firstborn of the dead or from the dead. So this last possibility is also the one that we saw in the, the lexicon, the BDAG, talking about prototokos, this idea of firstborn, that Jesus is the firstborn of the new humanity. And so that is another possibility for Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 here. So let's look at the translation options that we have available to us. The first one is to say that Jesus is first in rank, superior to everything in creation. Look, if your translation reads that way, there's no ambiguity at all, right? He just is superior and separate from creation. The second translation option for Colossians 1.15 is to say that Jesus is the first created member of all creation. Once again, no ambiguity there. And then the third is that he is the firstborn rank or member of all new creation, especially if you actually put the word new in there. Uh, it takes away all interpretation from the reader. So I would say all three of these are unambiguous translation options. And as a result of that, I would argue that all three are woefully inadequate and furthermore inappropriate for translation because what they're doing is they're taking away the other two options. If you pick any one of these three, the other two are excluded from view of the reader. So I actually do like the very basic, very sparse translation, firstborn of all creation. It's simple. You can interpret it in any of the three different ways and that leaves interpretation to the reader who is going to read the entire section. Colossians 1.15 is part of a, a whole section about Jesus and his, his supremacy and his role and him being firstborn from the dead and his uh, role as head of the church and this sort of thing, that you should read it within light, in light of that, uh, not just in isolation, but we're just looking at the translation possibilities here. So let's uh, see once again how these translations did. So the NASB says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Simple, clean, easy. You can interpret it at least three different ways. The CSB took that away and they put firstborn over all creation. Whereas the, now that is certainly a possibility, but I'm arguing that it's injecting bias into it. You could read firstborn of as firstborn over if you want to. The NLT is even worse. It explicitly says that Jesus existed before creation so it excludes the over possibility. But then the NLT people realized they just excluded the supremacy view. They added in the supremacy view as well. <laughs> so that's kind of a funny way to deal with it. But you know, in my estimation, they're over translating here. The GNT is pretty interesting because it says he's the firstborn son. They add in the word son, which is not in the text at all. 
there is no word sun in here. Uh, and then it's superior to all created things. So that's, that's going along with this idea up here from the CSB that he is uh, supreme and only reading it that way. In cases like this where there are multiple legitimate options for interpretation, translators should do their best to preserve the ambiguity rather than making the decision for the reader. I know I've probably said that a million times, but like I want to say it again because this is the main issue when it comes to bias in translation. The simple truth is you can translate a phrase different ways, right? I just showed you different ways you can translate this phrase. But the problem is if you translate it in such a way that the other interpretations are now excluded from view, what you've just done is you've robbed the reader from the opportunity to do Bible study and figure out what it's saying. And you better be right in your interpretation because you just excluded all the other possibilities from view. What motivates translators to do this? I've been thinking about this a lot. Fear. Fear that maybe if they don't spin it just the right way, readers will misinterpret it. Well, I don't know. I, to me, that just doesn't seem right. I don't want the translators motivated by fear. I want them motivated by love, motivated by honesty, motivated by you know grammatical arguments, convincing grammatical art, but not by fear that people might misunderstand it. That's just not a good motivator for this kind of Christian behavior. Um, if this is the case, translators need to leave interpretation and commentary to those who specialize in those fields. If it's the case, it can go different ways. Leave that. I mean, look, we have other fields. You don't have to bake it into your translation. We have commentaries. I've got a lot of commentaries sitting right behind me right now. I've got a commentary right here. This, this is an example right here from the NICNT, the New International Commentary of the New Testament, where they have two volumes on the same book of the Bible because over time the the FF Bruce version got old and then a new version came out and so they redid the commentary. You know what? And I think that's great. I think you should redo commentaries as you learn and as you grow, but that's what a commentary is. It's wrestling with the different interpretations and it's the commentator giving you his or her best position, best uh, preferred version of how to think about this. That's not the job of the translation itself. The job of the translation is just to give you the Bible. Uh, so otherwise readers are not even going to realize there is a controversy and may discover at some point that their most cherished beliefs rest on a paper-thin foundation. Do you want to discover that one day? I don't. Well, thanks for joining me for Colossians 1.15. I realize this was a shorter video, but uh, it's just an isolated little verse, and it, it helps, helpfully illustrates one of the issues with translation. So next time we'll look at John 8.58, where Jesus claimed to be the great I am, or did he? Join me next time as we continue in our quest to understand how we got the Bible. All right, well, that's it for this episode on Colossians 1.15. Just so you know, in the show notes for this episode, I've got a few books that I mentioned, as well as a fairly extensive list of other resources. I've got a couple of papers, one by William Wattell called Preexistence or Preeminence, another by Nathan Crowder, Christ, the Firstborn Head of the Universe. I've got links to uh, an explanation by John Shaneheit from his book, One God and One Lord as well as a sermon that I did on Colossians 1.15, and last of all, a link to a debate 
between Patrick Novice and James White uh, that was carried out on Chris Date's The Apologetic podcast a number of years back. Part two of this debate specifically addressed Colossians 1. You can hear, especially in James White's arguments, exactly what is driving the translation bias that I was mentioning in this episode, this overwhelming concern that Colossians 1.15 has to specify Jesus as superior to anything that has ever been created. And Patrick Novice takes a subordinationist view, uh, sometimes called Arian, that Jesus preexisted, that Jesus was the first to create, but that he is not separate from creation. This debate might be helpful to see these other kinds of views that are out there as well. If you would like to explain your view of Colossians 1.15 or even the whole section, verses 15 through 20, come on over to restitutio.org and look for episode 350, part 21 of the Bible class, Firstborn of or Firstborn Over. And I uh, would love to hear your comments or to read your questions. Last of all, I wanted to read out a couple of quick little comments that came in on episode 347, Bias in Bible Translation. Ken Schleimer writes in, Thank you for your efforts in putting this series together. Much appreciated. Durham writes in, I am really appreciating, no loving, what you have been so honestly and prayerfully preparing and delivering each week in these podcasts about how we got the Bible. Each episode has at least one and often multiple gems, uncut or cut, that shine through your presentation and start one thinking, and by doing so, gaining a better understanding and strength about what Scripture is saying or not. Thanks to Ken and Durham for writing in. It is nice to get encouragement. Uh, Sometimes it has been a a difficult series to put together. It has uh, cost a lot as far as resources and time and money, and I'm very happy with how it's turning out. I think it is going to reach a lot of people in YouTube land, uh, and I certainly do appreciate those of you who have shared episodes of this series on social media or via email that uh, other people could find out about this and that they could benefit from it. I, I tell you, I would just love to see a real revolution in Bible translation on some of these issues that we talked about not only in the last episode, in this episode, but also in the next episode on specific verses where bias is just dominating Bible translation. It's one thing if that's happening in the 17th century or the 18th century, but this is the 21st. You know, there's just no room for shenanigans. And if you're going to take a a strained reading, then put a footnote there explaining what the alternatives are. It it just won't do to, to slip stuff in and then you know, have have preachers then proof text in their building of doctrine and defending of tradition. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see the benefits that this class may be able to have in starting a conversation on some of these issues and to hear the feedback and even pushback on some of the positions that I've staked out here. So thanks so much for writing in on that. That's it for today. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you could do that at restitudio.org. We'll see you next time, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.